Paul quotes the verse to prove the point. And we had the verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 10 where the Lord tells us that by Solomon. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. These higher powers are principalities and magistrates. They are civil rulers that are put over us in a governing aspect of nations and states and municipalities and counties and townships and so forth. We're not going to follow the false arguments of some that try to say they're pastors or elders because all the, there's no, there's no basis for that whatsoever except an agenda already in mind that you want to get rid of civil government. And I believe I went over those points before. Nowhere in the Bible is powers used for pastors, but rather for magistrates. Does that mean in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17, we're supposed to understand those governors that are sent by the king as being the deacons sent by the pastor? That's what some would say. Do you know why they say it? They don't like authority. Well, the word of God is a metaphorical sword in Ephesians chapter 6. A minister does not bear it. A minister reads it. Nowhere in the Bible is tribute or custom used for pastoral support, but rather for civil civil taxes and, and so forth and so on. And we could go on and some people will say that the king and the powers that be in Romans chapter 13 of the Constitution. What Constitution are you referring to? Is it the Constitution of Zimbabwe or the Constitution of Rome? Which one are you referring to? It's not the Constitution. It's rulers. It's men. They're called rulers. They need to be paid. Constitutions don't need to be paid. It's rulers. It's men that carry a sword and wield a sword and can cut your head off. Constitutions have never ruled a nation. Men rule a nation. Men make decisions. Executive powers make decisions. Legislators execute laws and so forth. And the, re- the best reason and best argument you can have on that subject is the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was presented with a constitutional law question, opted for de facto law under Caesar, right. which is exactly what we should recognize. You can't walk into some IRS office and say, well, I've got my constitutional rights not to pay taxes. They're just going to throw you in prison. You know, and there's some well-known Christian figures that are in prison right now while I speak. And I'm not going to mention his name, but he was involved with the creation organization out of Florida. And he's been in prison for a number of years, and rightfully so, for for living contrary to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers here are civil government, their presidents, their congress, their court justices, their judges, their sheriffs, their magistrates, their mayors, their state governors, their state legislators. It's all the persons of government. And, and some governments have fewer, and some governments have more. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think is more efficient, less efficient, more righteous, less righteous. Just like all the differences that there are between parents. There are no two sets of parents, two sets of parents in this room that are equal. They are all different. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter one whit what anybody thinks about parenting. Children still owe honor and obedience and reverence to those parents of any sort. On the left hand, on the right hand, on either extreme, they're supposed to obey. They're supposed to honor. They're supposed to reverence. And we know that and we admit that. And I refer back to parents to try to make it easy for you to understand Because in dealing with people for a couple decades now on this particular point, I have found it the easiest to explain to them when they ask me questions, am I allowed to do this? 
I like to return the question with another question. If your children did that to you, would you allow it? Do you want that from your children? Right. And, and all of it, usually they can just say, I see it. No more needs to be said. I see it. I understand. And then there are some times you'd say, yes, I would allow that. Then I would say, go ahead and do it. And you'll see that as we come to some areas in which we can resist civil authority. All authority and power is from God. He is the great I am that I am, and He is the one that is higher than the highest. Right. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8. We don't have to worry about anyone that we're under. God has picked them, just like we don't have to worry about the parents we're under. Let me, let me talk more about parents. The effect that two parents have on every child's life is enormous. <coughs> Who made the choice? God did. God didn't ask the parents and God didn't ask the children if they wanted that relationship in this world. And yet, the choice that God made severely handicaps some children and greatly blesses other children. The, the, the difference is enormous. Who's in charge of all that? The God of heaven. Well, there happens to be an office higher than parent. And it's kings and governors. Parents don't have the right just to lop the heads off of children. Kings do. Kings don't bear the sword in vain. And they are a minister of God to revenge all wrongs. Right. Even in the Old Testament, a parent could not kill a child. He had to take them to the only one that can kill a child. The elders of the city. Civil government. Why in the world can you... You have to recognize it. Because you see parents and you see children. I mean, children are born to drunkards. Children are born to dope addicts. Children are born to women where there's never a father. The father deserted the woman before she could even give birth to the child that he had fathered. She turns into a prostitute to support her child. And so there's a child born. Does that child still owe his mother honor and reverence? Absolutely. Should he kill her because she's a prostitute? Absolutely not. And God makes those choices. And God makes those choices in government. It's easier for Him to pick your president and your Congress and your Supreme Court justices than it was your parents. Because there's more parents in the world than there are presidents, legislators, and justices. I speak as a fool for a moment to get your attention. It doesn't matter to God because He has an infinite mind and He made those choices and they seriously affect our lives, but we submit because God is God. And it doesn't matter who's in the office, we obey. Look at Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. This is a, su a surprising passage, but this is one of the places that we go to learn about authority. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Did the Lord Jesus Christ submit to the authority over him? Did he submit to Caesar? Yep. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Did Caesar need money to, to wage war by his empire throughout the world? Yes. Did Jesus pay for his own execution? Yes. Did Jesus pay for getting the head of James cut off? Yes. Who's going to be held accountable for that? The taxpayer or the one that cuts the head off? of an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. That government's going to be held accountable, but not by you. Right. 
going to be held accountable by the God of gods and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And my Lord Jesus Christ has this title, Prince of the Kings of the Earth. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Look at that. Jesus told the church of God to obey the Pharisees. <coughs> Why should they obey the Pharisees? Because they sat in Moses' seat. What was Moses' seat? The center of religious and civil power. And so what the Pharisees said to do, no matter if they were hypocrites, Jesus admits they were hypocrites. Whatever they bid you to do, you do it. This is the word of the Lord. Show me the passages where it says, if I don't like to do it, or because there's a hypocrite in office, I can disobey them. Show me, because my parent happens to be a sinner, I'm supposed to disobey them. Show me. There isn't anything like that in the Bible. Lord, teach us submission. The pillars of the earth of the Lord are the Lord's, and He upholds them all. He's the absolute dictator of the world. He's appointed these men. He raises them up and puts them down according to His good pleasure. When we have a wicked ruler, it's for good reason. When a child is born of this world and they have a terribly evil parent, God is going to work His glory and their profit out of that situation if they will respond to that situation the way the Bible teaches them to. If you do not take that position, this world is hopelessly filled with evil and we all ought to commit suicide or get rid of the concept of God. That's what we believe. Everything God does is for His glory. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. Psalm 76 and verse 10. It's for God's glory and the profit of every person that is under that kind of authority if they will respond to it scripturally. If they want to fight it and rebel against it, then they won't get the profit God intended for them to get from it. And then His secret will will come into bear. And His secret will is always fulfilled. His revealed will is what we want to fulfill because it's given to us and our children to obey that will. Here's what we believe. And I'm going to just, I'm going to have to abbreviate this. I'm going to have to give you some statements and maybe a verse or two here or there. There's many verses that back these up, but I don't want to spend 20 sermons on Romans 13, 1 through 7. There is no power but of God. Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. We shouldn't need to preach beyond that. But in God's loving kindness to us as His children, He explains that even the Roman government was a power, and they were supposed to submit to it, and that if they resist, they're going to bring upon themselves damnation. Then He explains the nature of government in verses 3 and 4, that it's the civil good, the public good, the common good of people that they need governments. Then verses 5 through 7 tell us what they need. They need money. They need honor. They need reverence coming from the whole populace for them to do their job most efficiently. For there is no power but of God. In the middle of Romans 13.1, there is no power but of God. First, God ordained positions or offices of authority to govern men. First, you know, we come into this world and as soon as we're born, bang, 
we have a mom and a dad. God said it. There we have a father and a mother. It's the only way we can get here is to have a father and a mother. And so there's the first fear of authority. As we grow up, we get our first job and we're servants under masters. We're employees under employers. And our second authority relationship that we enter. Then we get married and a wife has to submit herself to her husband. There's the third authority relationship. Then they go off to church and they're under the authority of the eldership, the leaders, the bishops, deacons of the church. Then they're citizens, and I may get out of order based on how it occurred in your life. You're under the authority of civil rulers. And see, parents make a great family unit. A husband and a wife make a great way to have sex and be loyal companions to each other through life instead of what this world is now proposing to us. A master over servants is a great way to run a business. He's got the intellect. He's got the forward-thinking mind. He has the strategic plan. He has the capital. God made him a risk-taker. He's the master. You go to work for him. Every Friday night you go home and you have a paycheck. And there are months, years, maybe decades where he doesn't get a paycheck because he's risking his capital for you to have a paycheck. And that's the relationship there. Then there's the relationship of God putting pastors over congregations to teach them the Word of God and to apply it and to enforce it for churches to be orderly. Then there's this civil government thing. You know, we all, we all want to be little house on the prairie. We all want to go out there and find our 160 acres, have the little woman, have her whip us up some biscuits when we come home from deer hunting, and come in and sit down with our kids without taking a shower, and chow down on her biscuits. That's what we all, we would all love that. You don't know me. No one in here really knows what Jonathan Crosby ever wanted out of life. <clears throat> but it involved the nation, the, the state of Montana, not Michigan or South Carolina. And it involved an underground house where my utilities would be very low. And it involved trading even before I knew that there was going to be internet trading. I understand the little house in the prairie fantasy. You know, we go out there and get our 160 acres and I'm king. No, you're not. You're nobody. You're a farmer. You're a deer hunter. You're not king. Because along comes Sitting Bull. Sitting Bull doesn't think you're much of a king. He sends his braves in to take the scalps off you, your wife, and your children. Do you know what all of a sudden you believe in heavily? Civil government and you hear the trumpet sound of the guys in blue on horseback arriving and put those engines on their reservations. Civil government. We need it. And then you say, I'm tired of riding into town. It takes me four hours in this bouncing buggy. And along comes a government that helps lay out railroad tracks and puts it in proper places, makes sure everyone whose property is confiscated for the railroad is paid a market price for that, and on and on it goes. It's wonderful. You know, along comes a foreign nation and wants to make everybody Muslims. <clears throat> and so everybody, men are drafted. Boys are drafted. Oh, my, yes, we would weep as they left home. But God said that's the way it is for civil government. Right. A big civil government needs to raise an army for the common defense of the people. And if we didn't have that, your little farm doesn't even count anywhere. It's just ground into the dirt by a foreign oppressing army. My little farm. You think they can't find me out there trading in New York from some underground house in Montana? You know, now they'll just send a little drone over there and just nuke me. But uh, civil government is wonderful. Do you know, when you walk into one of our grocery stores and you've got this array and it says it's ice cream, 
Are you worried that it could be mold, insulation, styrofoam? Has it been inspected? Do you trust it? We just sweep the stuff into our carts because we have a great nation with a civil authority. I mentioned bridges earlier today. Are you thankful that these bridges where we're driving over highways are not going to just plunk us down into the front of an oncoming truck? You know, those civil engineers that designed those designed them and they're inspected and they're approved by government officials that make sure they're worthy to support us and a whole lot of trucks and high winds all at the same time. And on and on, government goes. It is a wonderful thing. God ordained it. Because we need it. How do we get people to work together and pay for the good of a few people overseeing the big picture that are staving off foreign political efforts against us or foreign armies that might invade us? And so that when you go downtown and there's all these different businessmen, all those businessmen are treating you honestly and fairly because if they don't, the civil government's going to come through, chop off their heads, or take away their business licenses. I mean, either way, you can trust. It's a wonderful invention. And God made it, and it's just as wonderful as a mommy and a daddy, a man and a woman, a father and a mother, make a marriage and make a family with children. Right. And, our go- and our country is overthrowing that. And if you want to fight against civil government, you are like them. Because you are trying to overthrow something that God established that is very good. And it doesn't matter what Michael Landon or you or me think out there in our little house of the prairie about what they're doing in Washington. It doesn't matter. He's too stupid to know how to run a country. Because God raises up men with ability to be able to lead a nation. But first of all, first, God ordained civil government for the common good of mankind in nations. And he, he set the bounds of nations. When you look at a map and you say, I wonder why, how that line got drawn between Canada and the United States. God drew that line. It says so in Acts chapter 17. Right. The first thing, God, God established civil government. He established religious leaders over religious worshipers in his church, both testaments. He established masters over servants. And boy, when they work together well, and those servants say, yes, sir, how high? When the master says jump, a company can make money and a company can go places because the man at the top has the foresight, the capital, the risk-taking, and the knowledge of what to do. While the little guy down below never got past the third grade, he just goes in there and does his best every day, and he gets a paycheck, and the two of them together, the rich and the poor, meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all, and it's wonderful. Right. And marriage, and family, and there's the, there's the spheres of authority. And so it is with government, brethren. It is a blessing. It is a huge blessing. What if we had to be checking our gas? We have to have a little test kit every time we go to a gas station and pour some into a little test cup and hold it up and then drop in a tablet and see if it turns a certain color to know if it's been diluted with water. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you brought a jug with 128 ounces capacity in it and you filled it and you're watching very closely on the pump when you got to one gallon, you pull it away to make sure it was 128 ounces? How does all that happen? It's almost ridiculous to try to talk about it because there's a million of those that affect you every day. And do you know where it came from? Almighty God. Because I want to tell you, if it was up to your neighbor, your neighbor would probably rip you off. But do you know who it's up to? It's up to some men 
that have been placed in authority over a whole bunch of neighbors and who know that for this country to get ahead and for this country to make money and for this country to support me and for everybody to like me, I've got to make sure that you always get 128 ounces, even under absolute tyranny. Do you think Adolf Hitler had gas stations selling 127 ounces for a gallon? You're wrong. You, you, you've never read history. You don't understand that even under the worst tyranny, these civil orders are still kept in place because that is necessary for his own government to survive. And so they do it. But that's the, God gave that. God gave it. Sometimes it's a judge. You know what? Sometimes it was Gideon. Sometimes it was Jephthah. Then it was a king. And God would raise up those kings. The top ruler in our country could be a general in a military coup, or it could be a legally elected president like President Obama. God doesn't care about the form of government or lessening or increasing, is lessening or increasing your duty to it. We're bound to it no matter what kind of government we're born under or what kind of government overtakes the government that we're born under or what kind of government overtakes the government that overtook the government that we were born under. doesn't matter. God never told us to get involved in it. God never told us to care about it. God just told us to pray for them, supplicate for them, intercede for them, pay them, and thank God for them that we have one and we have the best. We have the best. Second, so first of all, God established the concept, the idea, the offices of civil rulers. Second, God gifts and prepares men to fill those political offices. Now, when so much could be said about this, I'm just going to have to read some points to you, and there's there's many verses for each of these, but because the Bible's filled with it, because the Bible is God's story, it's history, it's His story of how God has reigned in the affairs of men, and He first of all established this important office that can't, you know, parents affect the lives of a child, but a king affects the lives of all the parents and the children. There is enormous influence in a king. God handpicks every one of them. First of all, the office, then God gifts and prepares the men to fill those offices. God gives those men greater wisdom and understanding. Which, which verse do you want to hear? When Joseph stood there in irons from prison before Pharaoh and told Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and it would be my advice that you pick a man to be in charge of storing up some of that food during the years of plenty so that you can feed your nation in the years of famine. Pharaoh finished hearing that, and he looked around at his whole assembled court and said, What man have we ever heard that had a spirit of understanding and of wisdom and the spirit of the holy gods like you just heard? You've got the job. Who raised up Joseph like God raised up Joseph? How did Pharaoh get to that office? Pharaoh probably had 200 brothers. How did Pharaoh become Pharaoh? Because God protected him in battle, protected him in kindergarten, protected him from disease, and raised him to that office and gave him abilities above his peers. And we could go on and on. David had superior abilities to his brothers. He was a man after God's own heart. Solomon was wise. And we just go through the Bible. God gives them greater wisdom and understanding. God gives some men physical superiority over other men, like Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10, like King Saul, the first king of Israel. 
Do you know what advantage Saul had when he walked out to accept his crown? He was taller from his shoulders up than any man in Israel. Would you have said, God save the king? They all said, God save the king. Because God made him physically superior. God prepares men for ruling by giving them a new heart. Let me use Saul again. Did God give Saul a new heart? Saul was a timid man. Saul didn't want to rule. Saul didn't want to be an authority. Saul just wanted to chase his father's asses, find them, and bring them home. That's all Saul wanted to do. But God gave him a new heart. And when God gave Saul a new heart, was he now fit to be a king? When an evil event happened, he took a yoke of oxen, chopped it into 12 pieces, sent it by FedEx to every tribe in Israel and said, if you don't appear by this time tomorrow for battle, I'll do this to all your flocks and herds. Something happened to Saul. What happened? God gave him a new heart. God gives a heart to men to rule. You say, well, I see some men in history who didn't have much of a heart. That's right. God gave them that heart as well. Because God hardens hearts, like the heart of Pharaoh, to waste his whole nation and to drown the whole army. Do you know how many grieving widows and mothers there were after Pharaoh took his army into the Red Sea? Why did that happen? For the glory of God. And that's a good enough reason, and we rejoice in it. Even though there were grieving widows and mothers. God prepares men for ruling by subjecting their people under them. By God causing men to fear their ruler. David said, that God had caused the people to bow beneath His reign and authority. In Psalm 144, He says it. God said that, I mean, David said that God had taught His fingers to, His hands to war and His fingers to fight. David loved to play the harp. David loved to compose poetry. David was a shepherd, but God taught him how to be a warrior. God prepares men for ruling by giving them gifts. Like Solomon. Solomon was a tender boy. Solomon was a mommy's boy. Solomon was a studious boy. Solomon was not a man of war. But God gave him so much wisdom, they all bowed to his wisdom. And God arranged circumstances very quickly to where those two harlots were in front of him with one baby, and they were arguing about who the baby was, but Solomon had the answer. And what does it say about the whole nation when they heard what came out of that? The whole nation feared him and submitted to Solomon because they knew they had one wise king and that they would not want to bring anything to him where they were trying to lie or deceive because he would be able to figure them out. Does that help a ruler when those under his authority know that they can't lie or deceive him? God prepares men for ruling by providentially confirming their rule. Like Elisha, when he slapped the waters of the Jordan River and the Jordan waters divided, and all the sons of the prophets saw Elisha, and what did they say? The spirit of Elijah resteth on Elisha. How'd they know that? Because God arranged those circumstances for all of them to be watching when he came back to the Jordan River and the waters separated. God prepares men for ruling by superior circumstances. And we, this is just the men that God prepares for the office. First of all, God created the concept, the institution, the offices of civil government over nations, over municipalities, over states, in order for them to function better by there being common leadership over, for the public good over their civil and social interactions with each other. That's civil government. One of the five spheres of authority. And God then puts men in the office and prepares them for those offices. We have had the supreme servant in Oliver North in the last several decades of our country. And we've had the supreme master in the, in the case of Norman Schwarzkopf. And what a combination it was back 20 or 25 years ago to see the two of them. Oliver North knew his position and General Schwarzkopf knew his position. 
God prepares your parents in countless ways while yet children themselves before marriage. Even before your parents met each other and married, God was forming them in so many. It's a countless number of ways to be your parents. And if you will understand it was for the glory of God and your profit, if you respond properly, respond properly. Give them honor. Obey them. Everyone that comes to me and asks me and says, what should I do with my parents? They're unbelievers. I don't care that they're unbelievers. Unless you want to have a prayer meeting right now to pray for their conversion, that doesn't affect your relationship with them at all. Obey them. Honor them. They have an office that God gave them over you. They changed your diapies for several years. If you were a slow learner. They took care of many things in your life. Honor them. Well, my father's a drunkard. I've been asked that many times. My father's a drunkard. Well, then honor him as a natural father and you a natural son. If he doesn't fear God and he's a drunkard, then honor him in every way that you can. His drunkenness is something that he is going to answer for before God. He doesn't answer to to you for it at all. Children are not the consciences of their parents. Citizens are not the consciences of the state. The conscience behind the state, the conscience behind the government of the United States of America is the conscience of Almighty God. Everything that is happening is according to His perfect will. The remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. God restrains everything that is not according to His praise. It doesn't matter who's in the office. God prepared your parents in so many ways to be fit as He planned to be your parents. And you know, you may look at somebody else's parents and say, wow, they're blessed. Yes, they are. They're blessed because they had better parents than you had. But God made that choice. That doesn't mean you owe them less than those other children owe their parents. Third. Oh, I wish I could go through all these verses with you, but we would be on this until 2017. I'm serious. To look at the, to look at how God prepares men to fill their political offices. Third. God then providentially sets up those men in those offices. You know, that, that long category that I just went through was just God preparing men. God giving Saul a new heart. But then how does he get into the office? How did Saul get into the office? He didn't even want it. Was there an election? Did he write himself in? And all of his buddies write himself in? Samuel anointed him. That was a direct one. Sometimes it'll be a military victory. Leaves a man a conqueror. How did Cyrus and Darius become the leaders of Babylon in the Babylonian Empire? By military victory. They took the city in one night. They didn't have an election. But that was the new government. And they were obedient to it. Daniel was obedient to it. God providentially sets those men up in the great offices that He has fit for them. The Bible describes God's general work of doing it. God, The Bible describes God's specific work of doing it. Sometimes it's by direct revelation. Sometimes it's by men rising to the top. We're like Proverbs 22 and verse 29 describes, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall not stand before mean men. He shall stand before kings. And so men rise to the top. And God providentially arranges all of that for the men that make it into the offices of any nation. You didn't have the slightest influence in the selection of your parents. Now remember I was talking about the office of parent? Then I was talking about God working in the lives and hearts and circumstances and earnings capacity and capital and savings of your parents. And then 
How did your parents, how did those two people become your parents? All by God's choice. There wasn't an election, there wasn't a constitution, and you weren't asked. He made the choice, and it affects our lives drastically. And as soon as we wake up, and we realize that what our last name is, and we realize that this is mommy and this is daddy, and the word of God comes to us, children, obey your parents. Children, honor thy father and thy mother. Children, don't set light by thy father or thy mother. Curse not thy father or thy mother. He that smiteth father or mother shall die the death. He that mock, the, the eye that mocketh his mother, or, dis, or the eye that mocketh his father, or despiseth to obey his mother, the eagles of the valley shall pluck it out. We, we read all those verses, and we know that we owe it to those two people that God picked and put over us without our involvement whatsoever. He first of all established the office, he then established the two people, then he put them as your specific two parents, and you woke up one day and realized these are the ones that God's given to me. Isn't that incredibly powerful on the part of God? And listen, it's for His glory and our profit if we respond properly to His choice. If we rebel, it's going to turn to our damnation as 13.2 is going to teach us. Fourth, God then providentially directs the spirits of those chosen men to do what they do. The office, the men in the office doing what they do. God blinds them, God hardens them, God directs them. God arranges circumstances for what they do, just like your parents. You know, there you are, you're, you're six years old, you're in the first grade, and you've made some good friends, and your dad takes a job in another state. Bye-bye, friends. Your whole set of friends changed. Your father's in the military. He does that every two years. You make new friends, then those friends are ripped away from you, and you have to make new friends because your father's in the military. God put him in the military. God, God put in him a desire to volunteer for the military volunteer to be a military man for a 20-year career, and so it affected your life for 20 years. God does that with civil rulers. It's happening right now with the circumstances in Syria. I don't care what happens in Syria. I don't know why you're worried about it. The only thing I want to pray for is that God will bring it to a peaceful resolution in Washington and that God will work in the matter so that the one that's in authority and has the right to do what he chooses to do about Syria is able to do his will. That could be Congress that keeps our president from using executive force. It could be our president by getting Congress to knuckle under and support him in it against the rest of the world. But I don't care what happens in Syria. It's too big for me. I have a big enough trouble taking care of the few things that I have to take care of. Right. And he's privy to information that is called classified, which means I don't know about it. And he's privy to stuff that I, I wouldn't even be able to comprehend. There's so much of it. And he's getting all kinds of opinions. Some are true. Some are false. He's being misled by some. He's being told the truth by others. And he's going to make a decision. And he's going to be held accountable for it. And his legacy and the history of our country is going to go down as good or bad by all of it. And all of it's in God's hands. Amen. All of it's in the Lord's hands. God stirs up some men to general rule or specific tax, tasks in their rule. He blinds or hardens other men. The Bible is full of it. Sometimes he hardens men's hearts. He hardened Pharaoh's heart over and over until it destroyed the nation. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's servants came to him and said, Dost thou not know that the nation's been destroyed? Because his heart was so hard against Moses' requests. And so forth and so on. Sihon, king of the Amorites, God hardened his heart so that he came in battle against Israel and his nation was overthrown. All the kingdoms of Canaan, the same thing happened to them. This has happened throughout the history of the world. 
We trust the God that is manipulating all governments according to His own will for the benefit of His people. And we pray to this God. The most important thing we can do is pray to this God that He will so manipulate, lead, rule, protect, and guide our rulers that we, His people, under their care, can have quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty so that we can marry off our children, so that we can plant vineyards, we can put money in a bank account, we can make investments, and know they're going to be secure because God's going to take care of us. It is a wonderful way to live! It's what God told the, the Jews to do when they were imprisoned, uh, imprisoned in Babylon in Jeremiah 29 verses 4 through 7. Pray for the peace of Babylon and marry your kids off. Pray for the peace of Babylon and build a house. Pray for the peace of Babylon and plant a vineyard. Enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry and pray for the peace of Babylon. Let's pray for the peace of America and eat, drink, and be merry. Let's worship our God, marry our children off, and enjoy family life and not worry about what's in God's hands and not worry about what's in their hands. God is raising them up, stirring them up. God is deceiving them. God is blessing them. God is giving them wisdom. God is giving them ignorance according to His own will. He's always done that. He'll always do it. You're never going to stop it, slow it down, or help it. And you were never called to stop it, slow it down, or help it. We just submit to it. And know that they're responsible for their roles. And you know, I haven't noticed any changes in my 56 years of life. One gallon of gasoline is still 128 fluid ounces. For some reason, the government is still doing a good job. I can still get a quarter pound, and it's going to be four ounces of horse meat sold to you by the McDonald's Corp. I mean beef sold to you by the McDonald's Corporation. Therefore, it's not only the office that is obeyed and honored as God's ordinance, but it's also the man that is in the office and his knowledge or personal ambition at any point in time, just like your parents, just like your boss. Your boss has ambitions for himself that may include stepping on you on his rise up the corporate ladder. Does that alter your duty to him? Your husband may be a selfish, lazy man that doesn't take charge of your home. Does that change your responsibility toward him? No. Our government may have ambitions to do things, whether it's at a personal level, a conspiratorial level, or any other level. It's all in God's hands. We obey, we pray, we pay, we submit, we're in subjection, we, and we give them honor and fear as we should. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. The sovereignty of God is not some minor aspect, but it pervades all subjects. The rulers in Syria at the present time, the rulers in New Guinea, Cuba, or America are all God's choices as fully as your parents were God's choice. The Lord Jehovah teaches us that. He raiseth up kings and he putteth down kings according to his own will. I thought we had read to us this morning from our brother Chris, John chapter 19 and verse 11, where Jesus said to Pilate, John chapter 19 and verse 11 sounds this way. Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. All civil authority is power from God. That was a foreign military occupying force in Israel against their constitution, and that was going to put him to death with an illegal, unfair trial. God had given Pilate the authority to do that. And Pilate executed his office, and Pilate will be held accountable to God for what he did and no one else. And what the Jews did, notice what Jesus said. I want you all to understand the rest of that verse. 
Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Pilate was just executing his office of trying to keep peace over a rebellious nation. Who had delivered Jesus to Pilate? The rulers of the Jews. Did God deal with them for doing that to his son? In 70 AD, he used those Romans to level their capital city. You know, note the language in the Bible. The powers that be are ordained of God. It doesn't say the powers that we would like to be. It doesn't say the powers with constitutional authority. It doesn't say the powers that allow life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's not the powers that we approve of. It's not the powers that allow gospel preaching. It's not the powers that preserve the unborn. It's not good powers. It's not noble powers. It's the powers that be. The powers that be. See, you wake up in a crib. Who are the powers that be? The mom and dad that God picked for you. The powers that be. You can't get up at the age of five and know that the child down the street gets cookies and milk every day after school and you never get cookies and milk and they have a new bicycle and you have a used bicycle and you can walk down the street and pick yourself a new set of parents. You were raised with the parents that got a used bicycle and don't give you cookies and milk. They give you a granola bar and distilled water. Doesn't Think about whatever you want to think about. But you know, God made these choices for us. God made these choices that may not be the government that we think we should have, but I want to tell you there's a thought, there's a thought process behind our government that is greater than your thought process or my thought process. It's God's thought process. God is, you want to talk about classified information? It's called the secret will of God. Do you know how many details God is taking care of? I can, all 315 million people in this country and all 6,700,000,000 outside of this country that are influenced by the United States, God is taking care of all of them all at once with what he's doing in Washington, D.C. Do children have to learn to recognize that about their dad who moves from one state to another when he takes a new job? Okay, Daddy. I'll be happy to go, Daddy. I'll help you pack. I'll make some new friends in our new city. I love you, Daddy. And anybody in here that doesn't want to submit to Washington, D.C. and respect them the same way, you are destroying authority and it is going to come back to damn you in your life. Right. Romans 13, 2. Doesn't that just put chills in your bones to think about a little child being so submissive to the Father's will? What if the Father's taking a stupid job in a foreign state? Whose opinion? The Father gets to do what He wants to in such a state, in such a uh, choice that He makes. Oh Lord, help us to see these things as plainly as they actually are. It doesn't matter at all the form of government, the men in it, or their ambitions or goals in office. If we were Russian Christians in 1950, who would be our king? Joseph Stalin. Who would be the police force? The FBI, the CIA, the KGB, and so forth. What would we do? We would submit. We would pay taxes. We would honor them. Would you do that? Absolutely. That is just as righteous as this. It is only in your mind there is a difference. God raised up Adolf Hitler over the German state for purposes known to him. And God raised up a government over us for purposes known to him. We may salute this way. We give honor to whom honor is due. 
If that's the gesture that He wants in the way of honor, we give Him honor that way. We have our place where we'll resist. That's verse 2. I'm not to verse 2 yet. But see, you've had, you've had this privilege, and I don't consider it really a privilege. You've probably spent 15 minutes reading about Adolf Hitler, and for some reason you think he was bad. Now you know I have an opinion about Adolf Hitler, but I'm not going to bring railing accusations against him because Michael the Archangel doesn't even bring railing accusations against Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler ran a government that still provided 128 fluid ounces of gasoline in every gallon that you purchased at the pumps. And if you tried to steal from your neighbor, you were going to be punished. And if you tried to sell gas that was only 126 or 127 ounces, you would be punished by that government. It doesn't matter the level of tyranny. They still have to enforce the basic good and the basic evil for a nation. Now, they didn't have the moral good or the moral evil that we understand and what nation has. And America doesn't have the moral good or the moral evil in their understanding that the Bible teaches. But we still submit. This government right now, we're paying taxes to pay for abortions. If we take this as Cuba Christians in 1965, it means Fidel Castro and his form of rule. What should you do if you were a Cuban Christian in 1965? You saluted Fidel Castro. You paid taxes. You prayed for him. You supplicated. You thanked God for him. You were still alive. Your family was still alive. Though you might not have been making very much money working in the sugar plantations of Cuba, you still had a family. You could still worship God, and you thanked God that there was still a government over your state. That's what the Bible teaches us to do. In the history of the world, less than 1% of all rulers at any level were true Bible Christians. In the history of the world, there's never been a government outside Israel that was the best form of government. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. When God ordains something, that means He sets it up to continue in a certain order, He establishes it or founds it by His ordinance. He appoints it, He decrees it, He destines it, He orders it, and He's ordered the civil governments of the world, of nations, of cities, of states, of counties, of townships. He's ordered it. He set it up. He picked the men for it. He prepared the men for it. And He moves the men while they're in the office and directs them. There's one government of the world. It's the government of God. And He is the God of gods, King of kings, and Lord of lords. And all praise and honor should be to Him. And we should be able to submit, pay and pray, and trust Him. Because if we know the King and the God that is behind all the rulers of this world, and the most, we have the most powerful influence that there has ever been for a government, right. and that is to pray. My wife was asking me yesterday about Cyrus and who in the world could have arranged for Cyrus to take the city of Babylon in one night. It should have taken a 10-year siege that would have cost most of the inhabitants their lives, but it happened in one night by God. And we were talking about the power of prayer in moving nations, in moving government, in moving rulers. Do you know who the prayer was that brought Cyrus. Thank you, my brother. Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 says that Daniel, by reading the Scriptures, knew that it was getting close to the 70-year time period, so he went to God in supplication and prayers, and he confessed 
the sins of the state of Israel. And he begged God to have mercy upon them. And an angel came to him and said, the 70 years are going to end. And the man that I'm sending to end them, when he issues the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, you can start counting another 70, but it's going to be 77s. And it's going to bring us to Messiah the Prince. Daniel's one of the five great men listed in the Old Testament for being able to intercede. And he prayed and interceded for Israel. And what a blessing it was. We should be interceding for our country. If you are not praying fervently every day for our rulers, high and low, in authority over us, and fasting from time to time, you do not have the right, or you are a hypocrite, you do not have the right to have an opinion about government at all. I ask you, are you doing what the Bible says you're supposed to be doing, or are you doing what the Bible says you shouldn't be doing? And that is having evil thoughts toward government and drawing lines in the sand that if the government tries to come and do something to you that you don't think they should do, you're not going to let them do it. Well, they're going to do it anyway, but you don't think you're going to let them do it? Drawing those lines in the sand, already feeding your heart with rebellion and how you hate government and hate this government? The Bible tells us what to do. Do you want to protect your family? Then if you're a wife, submit to your authority. If you're a father, submit to the authority of your master and pray. Lead your family in praying. Pray for President Obama. Pray for our Congress. Pray for the senators and the congressmen. Pray for our justices. Pray for our governor. Pray for our mayor. Let's be faithful citizens. Let's do it the way that Jesus Christ taught us to do it. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Can we lift you, brother?